1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever has love, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he, loved, he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. According to the Bible, there is one relationship that changes all relationships. When the Bible in Christianity, the, the, the way that Jesus speaks and interprets the whole of scripture, uh, presents spirituality he does so with an invitation, an invitation not simply to learn a few principles, not simply to be good people, but to join your life with God. And so uh, sort of the phrases or the images that come in the teaching of Jesus or in the Bible or more broadly is that you walk with God and that you trust God and that you remember God and that you love God. And there's these various pictures that all have to do with our relating to God, not just taking a few things from God, but, but actually coming to know God. And it's in that coming to know God that we are reshaped in all ways. And, and what's in our focus today is for our relationships with human beings. And so in this passage, relationships with human beings are very important, but it's grounded in an assumption. It's speaking to people who um, ought to be relating well because they know God. And it's that knowing, that relational image that's important here. You see in verse eight, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. There's a sense in which um, to know God as he truly is, not like you could come up with a religion or you could find a religion that suits you. But if God is real and we come to know God as he really is, the New Testament presents him as a God who will show you his love and, and that love will shape you. And so the question is, do you know God? Are you deepening in that knowledge? Are you coming to know God? <clears throat> and is that shaping and changing you? Because Knowing God uh, will, will help us to 
understand and learn of many things. But for John, love is important. So verse 19, we love because he first loved us. So before we talk about loving other people, we need to talk about knowing God. In this sermon series, we've been talking about that. And now we're at the last subsection of this love series about loving people. And this message is important. Well, God first loved us. And if he loved us and if we know him, then what John is getting at is it should be working itself out in in our love for other people. And so uh, one thing that we could do is to speak to non-religious people to say, well, look, the way that you think of love and your vision for humanitarian thoughts are are always going to be short-sighted because human beings always fail and you need something deeper than that. that. That would be a fair thing for us to be talking about. John's message, though, is for religious people. And he seems to be addressing what would be a common trap of hypocrisy that any of us could fall into. And that is to, to, build, to have a self-understanding that we are devoted, that we're keeping the rules, that we're spiritual, when we're actually not. And so what John is looking at today is, do you know God? And is that relationship shaping you? And then let's look at how you are relating to others. And so, so that's really important because um, in this passage, along with many others, we, we have verse 21, for example, this is the commandment that, that you love one another. This is really important. But it's not just a rule. What John is looking at is more deeply, what's going on? Who are you spiritually? What do you really believe? What's going on in your mind? What are your goals? How do you understand the world? All of these things, if you're coming to know God, it's going to be changing you so that you're growing in love for people. So today I want to ask three questions that will help us, I think, move closer this week towards being better at loving people because they're going to help us to see how we have some work to do in knowing God and returning to God. And so the first question this morning is, do you love people? So do you love people? Now, I'm not asking if you enjoy being around people or if you prefer to be by yourself. I'm not asking if you would rather go to a party or read a book. Um, I'm not asking if you like small talk. Um, there, there are different, different ways that or each of us are different in how, how much we want people around us, things like that. The question, do you love people, has to do with your attitudes and your actions. So, for example, whether or not you're with people all the time or whether or not you're rarely with people, are you envious? <laughs> do you look at other people and when things are going well for them, instead of rejoicing for them, do you resent? Um, would people who have some relationship with you, whether it's a casual work relationship or somebody you've known for a while, would people say that you respect them? Do they get that from you? Do people think that you see and understand them? Here's a question to think about. Can people be themselves around you? You know, is there something about you and the way, you relate, you, the way you relate to other people that people feel more free to be more of who they are? They could be more vulnerable, more honest. Or is there something about the way you're relating to them where people feel they have to be guarded, where they need to hide maybe some of who they are, or they need to adapt to you because you're not meeting them? All of us need to grow in this. But the reason it's worth asking about whether or not we love people is because John is presenting us with a bit of a logic saying, odds are there's some continuity of the way you're relating to people and the way you're relating to God. And so uh, verse 21, this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. 
And so there's meant to be a coherence that once we understand God's love for us, we respond in love for him, and then we love our brother. It's something we must do. Um, as we reflect on this, it's an opportunity for us to say, not only do I need to, to be more energetic and more effortful in loving people, but we need to step back and say, wait a second, is there more reorientation that needs to happen? Is there something about my relating to people that's showing a deeper problem in my knowledge of God? And that's why I think the question, do you love people, is valuable for us today. I wonder for you if you think it's easier to love God or to love people. Now, there's a certain sense in which we would say theologically, God is far easier to love because God is good. God is perfect. And every human being is flawed. Nobody's perfect. And therefore, real relationships will dry out our impatience, will frustrate us, will, will mean that there's conflicts and need for apology. Um, and so we could say theologically, actually, God is easier to love because God is perfect. But in the working out of ourselves being imperfect people, is it easier to love God or to love people? John here is taking a certain angle and saying, you know, for, certainly if you just consider a certain perspective, people are easier to love. Some of you immediately resonate with this. Um, it's hard even to believe in God because God is unseen. Isn't that one of the problems? We don't see God. So, so what is God like? Is he even there? So, so how do we love him? Whereas an actionful love is easier towards people because we could say, what, what could I do for God who created the heavens and the earth? What could I possibly do for God? But, but actually people, you can see them and you can do things for them and you could hear their stories. And if, if you do something they don't like, you could stop and learn and change. And, and there's a certain sense in which a human relationship can feel easier to work itself out. That seems to be part of what, what John is pointing out here as he's challenging us on our theology, on our knowledge of God. Verse 12, he says, no one has ever seen God. On the one hand, that's glorious and majestic because God is bigger than our minds can fathom. But on the other hand, it's, it's a practical struggle, certainly for many of you. Um, all of us, to some degree, how do, how do we know God? How do we love God when we can't see him? Because we're used to believing what we see. We're used to, um, to making progress in certain ways that don't apply exactly to God. And so then um, verse 21, when he says, whoever does not love his brother the important thing there, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's what he's raising to say, okay, there's a human being that you've seen, and so there's a sense in which you can recognize needs, and you can interact, and you can adapt, and you can change. But what are you doing? Are you hard-hearted towards other people's needs? Well, then, then why would you assume that you're open to what God would have you do? But perhaps even, even more, you know, if, if we look at the ways that we respond to people, and, and I'm going to give two ways we respond. Most of us do both of them, but some of you will do one of them more than others. If there's somebody who's difficult, we either vent on them and cut them off. That's one of the things that we do. We just get rid of them or, or, or where we just, you know, distance ourselves. Or we just quietly ignore what we don't like and just try to keep loving them where, where we can. Now it's understandable why those are strategies, natural strategies. But I think what John is raising is if this is how you're relating to people, are you confident that, that this is just how you're relating to difficult people or actually are you limited in your own change, your own ability to, to adapt and to grow because that's just how you relate? You need to take a step further out of your self-centeredness into 
connecting with others. So for example, is it possible when you don't like what you see in people that you cut them off, that you're not prone to doing the same thing with God? You know, we encourage Bible reading. You read through this long, complicated book, you are going to come across things that trouble you, that offend you. And what do you do? Some people immediately say, I will never believe in a God like this. And it's worth pausing and saying, if God is God, and if he is vast, and if we are finite, and if we have much to learn and grow, why would we quickly assume the second we see something we don't like, that the problem is with God and he's not worth following? Maybe there's a problem with God that we need to grapple out, but maybe there's a problem in our understanding. Maybe there's a problem in us that needs to change. And so, so once you love God, there's an openness to remaining. And that's part of John's message, abide, remain. And so, so part of the spiritual walk is dealing with our being offended <laughs> and, and the confusion. Am I wrong? Is there something wrong with me? And you stick with God. And, and that's an area where we grow. And the idea is if we're growing there, then we're strengthened so that we can stick with other people. Now, other people are different. People are imperfect. God is perfect, but you're not going to see that. Sometimes imperfect people will manipulate you and you'll think they're great. And sometimes a wonderful God will cause fear and frustration for you. What's probably more likely, since this is an in-church discussion, is we, we do the, here's what I see, I understand it when I find appealing. And I... I just can't handle having to, to grapple with the things that I don't like. That's understandable because part of that could be patience. I'm just going to wait till I grow and maybe I'll understand it. But what prohibits our change is sometimes we're ignoring who God actually is. And, and here's the thing John is saying, if you know God, you will love people. And you're looking at people and saying, I'm, I'm not always deepening and knowing them and, and the way I manage them. It, it, it brings things back to say, are you really getting to know God? Are you, are you open to God being who he is? Because the danger, uh, one of the reasons that idolatry is such a clear warning in the Bible is that the tendency of every human being in every place, every time, every culture, and of every religion is to mold God into our own likeness. And what we're told is that is dangerous. You don't want a God like us. What we want is us to be more like God. And even within Christianity, uh, where we would say Jesus speaks so explicitly about these things, the trap will be there. And so the question this morning, do you love people? Hopefully will help encourage you to love people more, but will help you to stop and say, how do I naturally relate to people? And can I be honest? Am I knowing God or do I need to, to revisit a little bit more how I'm walking with God? And so John uses the logic to bring things there. And so the question, do you love people? The answer, the honest answer is not as we should, not according to the standard Christ holds us to. And what John says is if you're not loving people, then you don't really know God deeply. Now that's understandable. God is incomprehensible. We can't know him fully. But do we know him truly? Do we really understand the character of God? And so, so the question then, here's a second question, is what is God offering you? Because John is speaking of a message to people who are imperfectly loving and imperfectly believing and trusting. That includes us. So what does God offer to you that will help you grow? How will you know God more so that your knowledge of God produces the kind of fruit in how you relate to other people? If one of the challenges is that God is unseen, 
And so how do we really know God and know what God is like? And so we don't do the hard spiritual work of reading the scriptures, of prayer, of being before God, of taking all that we're doing in this physical world where we see, hear, and touch, and working it out with God who is invisible. Um, how do we do that? Well, what we need is, is God to show us certain things. Um, what does God offer you? Here it says we're moving towards the answer to that question for today. Is God, God offers you revelation. He will, he will show himself. And it's interesting. If God is going to choose to show himself to us, what will he show us? Verse 9, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. What was made manifest? The unseen God. God wants something to be seen. He wants us to see God. So he sends his son to, to reveal who God is. Of all of the things God wants us to see, what does John highlight for his purpose for us today? It was the love of God that was manifest. You know, as we look around the world of all the things that we could study and learn and grow in, John is saying God's purpose in sending Jesus is that you would know him. Well, what is it we would know about him? It would be a manifestation of the love of God. That's really important. Are you loving people? Well, if you know God, you should, because one of the key things you should know is the nature of God as a God who loves. He is the first lover. He is the originator of love. And so verse 14, what John is saying, the apostle, so John himself is one of those who walked with Jesus, and, and Jesus promised, I will send my spirit to remind you of all that I saw and did. And so John begins his letter, that which we saw, that which we have touched, that which was from the beginning we proclaim to you. Here in verse 14, he, he taps into that reality. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. And so here it is, the question, do you love people? Every honest person would say, I don't, I fall short. And the thing is, there's me and there's them. And we say, I don't care about them, I care about me. What could God do for me? But we live in a world where the theology is God is the creator. So, so why should you look to God? Because God made you. But why should we have any concern for any other human being? And our theology tells us God is the creator of all things and every person. So, so that was his message to Noah, Genesis 9. Why do you never murder a human being? Because God has made people in his image. You should be looking to people and seeing something of the goodness of God in them instead of projecting your own hate and fear and rejection and covetousness and desiring to kill them. To kill a human being, we're told theologically, as a way of striking out at God because every human being belongs to God. And so we are a people who need salvation because we hate one another and we kill one another. And yet we also form religions where we say, but we're okay because here's how we atone for it. And as long as we're devoted to God, we're okay. Our problem is much deeper and God is offering us something much deeper, something that doesn't simply make you feel okay about continuing on in not loving people. But he's saying, if you're ready to do the honest work and to look at how you're relating to other people and how it's painful and how shame is at work in your life and how you're afraid and how you're vindictive, if you're ready to do the work of being honest about that, that's going to force a certain kind of spiritual formation where it is so essential, if you're going to know everything, anything about God, to know that one of the key attributes that God makes known to us is that he loves, because love as Kevin reminded us in the children's sermon, God's perfect love, the complete, the fullness of it, is what casts out, it's what drives out fear.
And so if we are to be honest about whether or not we know God by looking at how we treat people, it should stir fear in us if we have a moral conscience, if we don't want to continue molding God in our likeness, but we want God to be God and God is moral and God is just and God is upright and God hates when we kill his people. And so if we're going to grapple with that, that's going to cause us to have a bit of a crisis. Well, then how do we come to know God when our bigger problem is trying to avoid that we were overwhelmed by our inability to be as God has made us to be to love? And that's where verse 10, we actually looked at the same passage last week. Uh, We're revisiting it. Verse 10, in this is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's what John is saying. "Do Do you know God such that it is not that he saw your your beauty, and he wanted you to belong. It's not that he saw your usefulness. It's not that you had done enough, but he saw you as you really are. And he loves you as you really are. So here we are making God in our image, but God is dealing with us as we really are. And so what did he do? He sent his son. God moved towards us when he knew that we didn't love us, love him. How do we know? How does he know we don't love him? Look at what we're doing in his world. And we vindicate ourselves, we blame shift, we say, God, we didn't know, or God, it's your fault, or it's not me, it's them. And while we're in the midst of doing that, God doesn't draw away, but he sends his son to come near to be a propitiation and offering. Jesus, God himself, offers himself for our sins. We send our hostilities on him, rejecting Jesus Christ who was sent to be the Savior, Because not having known God, when we see God, we don't recognize him. That's a picture of how deep our problem is. But we're told is, but God still sent Jesus. And in our rejecting him, he did not withdraw, nor did he repay us what we deserve. But he offered himself propitiation. He bears our hostilities until his own righteous hostilities are satisfied. We talk about that often enough within the church, that it could get old. For those of you that may be new to Christianity, maybe that's not surprising that's in the Christian message. There's something about that that we still need to deepen in. Do we, do we really know God this way? Is, is that the source of our faith and confidence? Do we believe that it was while we were not loving God that God loved us? And does that offer hope that your life could be different because so much of our time is excusing the wrongs we've already done, that there's no catching up and starting over. And yet there's one relationship that will change all relationships where God gives you new life. That's important in this passage that we have been born by the spirit and the spirit will show us the love of God so that we know God. And that knowledge then takes shape in our actions. And so, so what does God offer us? He offers us himself, (laughs) He doesn't simply say forgiveness is easy, but he, he brings us forgiveness while we didn't love him. And he bears the suffering of that. He bears the cost so that we can go out into the world free of our burden, ready to bear the costliness of loving others. And I was talking with my wife um, this week, and she reminded me of a story from when she was younger. She was in the third grade, and she had gone into a store to buy something, something for herself, and she bought it. 
And then after making the purchase, saw something that she also wanted. And in fact, she wanted it more than what she had bought. I'm sure she'd like to go back to the third grade self and say, go and return what you bought. But instead, she decided to steal the thing that she wanted. And it's interesting the way something like that works. Um, you'd think there's embarrassment about it or there's guilt. Um, but my wife's description was that there was something quite empowering about stealing. Now, those of you know who know my wife are probably not surprised because she frequently steals things. The reason that we don't have refreshments often at church is because she just takes them when nobody's looking. That's not true. Uh, you might suspect that of me. Um, if you know my wife, she is not prone to being the kind of person that just easily does terrible things uh, and then uh, feels easy about it. There was something empowering about stealing from the store such that rather than the first instinct being, I feel guilty about it, the instinct was, I want to brag about it. This is the nature of so much temptation and so much sin that we get pulled into doing what we know is wrong. And then the immediate response is we feel good about it. So she went to a friend, this wonderful person, when I think of just this one interaction, and to impress the friend, look what I got and guess what I did to get it. And she was utterly floored by the friend's response, which was, that is wrong. You need to go tell your parents or I'm going to go tell your parents. <laughs> and I'm sure uh, we didn't go into all the details of what my wife was thinking to the degree that she remembers that. But I, what I would be thinking is, what kind of friend are you? <laughs> Here, I disclosed this to you and now you're going to humiliate me. You're going to shame me. But there was something just about that response, if you think of the mind of a third grader. And so with fear, she went and told her parents and her parents took her to a store, took her to the store and called the manager and they went to a back room and said, tell them what happened. And she had to confess that she had done wrong. And I suppose there's enough of an adult conspiracy that most of us would know what to do in this situation, which is you want to help the parent by saying, now, now you know that was wrong, right? And so I think that this manager probably reinforced the message. You shouldn't steal. That's not right. Um, but what's interesting is he also let her have the thing that she stole. Rather than saying it's wrong, and now you need to return it. He said it was wrong, and then he let her keep it. Now, I don't know exactly what she was thinking, and she probably does not recollect what her third grade mind, but, but I think the first thought, as I imagine myself as an adult, even more as a, as a kid, my first thought would be relief. I thought I was going to get in trouble. I thought I was going to be humiliated. I'm so glad I didn't get yelled at. The interesting thing about that story, and... And how you mature, because as you grow older, one of the problems is we look back and we start to see the things that we once did that we thought were okay. Now we have greater insights and, and we realize that what, what, we, what we once thought was okay is not okay. And that means maturing involves growing in guilt and humiliation and shame. Part of engaging the truth of ourselves in our world is painful. There's also something about looking back at that moment and, and thinking, you know, in this store owner giving her this, I'm sure it was not something of great value, um, but there was generosity where, where he was wrong. He didn't, he didn't need to give that to her. He would have been right. There would have been a good lesson to say that this was wrong. Give it back and think about it. Why don't you go work and save up and come back and buy it? There was something in his giving it that she would not have thought at the time, which is, in, in essence, he chose to buy it for me. He didn't say that. It, it didn't come as a gift, but, but if I took it and if he let me have it, um, 
he's the one that bears the cost. And, and I gained and I didn't, I wasn't humiliated, but, but I gained. Now her gain was a lesson, but it's, it's as an adult that you look back and you say, not only did I not get what I deserve, but I, I got what I did, didn't deserve. And then that changes you. That, that says there's something about that. That's right. I mean, now if I was a store owner and a family brought in a kid hearing that story, I would say, that's what I want to do. And that's what we're told. Do you, do you understand what God has done for you? And that should be what you want to do. You should say, I look back and things are different. And so now this was, this was many years ago um, where my wife did this. A couple of weeks ago, she was in Fairway. We, we've been going to Fairway. She's the only one who goes because of COVID. So we've got one shopper. And at Fairway, you could use your phone to self-check out. So she's been checking herself out. She was buying rice milk and she was buying two. And after she left, she realized she scanned one. So now this is different. I'm not going to say your age now, but let's say somewhere between 20 and hypothetically 50 as a range. 20 to 50-year-old Kathy um, didn't look at it covetously and decide to take it. She now as an adult intended to do good, but even in her good intention realized she inadvertently did wrong. What's interesting is she, her entire moral for, formation was not from that one story, but but as we were talking, those two stories linked up in her head, the wrong that I did and the relief that I got in the generosity. And now my being a person who I wasn't afraid of being caught because she was gone. She was on her way home. But she recognized there was something restored, something that convinced her the rightness of being honest. She was not necessarily changed by that one story, but the, the, the link in the mind that says, I look back at that and I look at who I am now and I'm continuing I'm continuing to grow. What John is saying is if, if you're a devoted person, if you're reading the scriptures, if you're praying, if you're knowing God, and if you're being honest with who you are, you should be understanding the depths of God's love and how that's so good and part of the good news. And that should change you. It should send you back out into the world. And so this question, do you love people, gets at the kind of confrontation where we say, not enough. And John says, well, then, then go back and look at God. And when you didn't love him, he loved you and he sent his son. And so, so sit with that. And so verse 16, why is John telling us this? He says, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. That's what John is sharing. We've come to know this and we've come to believe it. It's not just Christian doctrine out there. It's not just religion with, with ritual. It's not just a moral way of being a better person. But we've come to know and believe the love that God has for us. John says, that's what changed me. <laughs> that's what's changing our community. And why are you resisting change? And so here's our third question. First question, do you love people? Second, uh, what is God offering you? He's offering you himself. The third is, how are you living differently? And that's what John is trying to encourage. There's a connection between knowing God and having that relationship change who we are in all relationships. <clears throat> Verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Verse 11, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. That's his message. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And remember how he addresses us, beloved. It's not maybe that John loves us, but he's recognizing we are those who are loved by God. We are the community he has given his spirit to, the community he offers 
forgiveness and redemption to. He says, it's not that you loved God, but God loved you. Beloved, if God so loved us, so also we ought to love one another. It's that kind of love. It's not, it's not how do you feel. It's not what's natural to you. It's not what are the best tips and practices, but have you sat with God and considered God and his ways? Has you, have you seen what he chose to show you? It doesn't matter who you want God to be. God said, I sent my son into the world so that you'd see a number of things. One of them, John says, highlighting God loved us. We've come to know and believe, not simply that love is a thing, but through God's action, he demonstrated his character. If that's how he loved us, so we also ought to love one another. Verse 17, by this love is perfected in us. Do you want to grow in love? Look at God's love, but here's how it moves towards completion. So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. We will have to give an accounting for how we've lived. Religious hypocrisy is not the template. Verse 17 says, because as he is, so also are we in the world. And that's the model. Who is God? Do you know him? As he is, so also are we in the world. And that's what we're striving for to put into action this week. Um, None of us have seen God, but God manifested his love in Jesus Christ. But you are going to see people. Now, you may see them over Zoom or FaceTime. You may see them because you're out on a walk or you live with them. But are you ready to give? Are you ready to, to be the one who was loved first by God, who is prepared to love them first? And what, one of the things that we need to do, um, what is it that keeps us from really knowing people and deepening in our relationship? Well, it's our envy, and it's our pride, and it's our shame, it's our fear, it's our guilt, the things that we talk about all the time. But they keep us from being ourselves, and it keeps other people from being themselves. And so what we do is we have this relationship where we use one another, where we don't engage one another, or, or we take what we like and we ignore what we don't like, or we try to control people. Maybe there's something about them that's not immoral or problematic, but it just annoys you. <laughs> and so you're trying to control them. I can't, be with, I can't deal with you with that. Those are examples of the kinds of things we do wrong, and it, and it keeps us distant. We don't really get to know one another. So John is saying, but is there anywhere that you could be yourself? Well, well, if God has loved you, that's the place to work this out. Be yourself. Don't allow fear, shame, guilt to control you, but be honest. And don't try to make God be who you want him to be, but come to know God as he really is, because he's better than you could create. So you take that, and then you go back into the world and say, now part of my growth in loving people is to find out who they actually are and to love them. And in some cases, they'll be fine, but you just don't like who they are by preference, and you need to challenge yourself. But God calls you to love them. In some cases, they're not fine. There's a problem in them. And what does it look like not to allow them to treat you problematically, but what does it look like to extend the kind of love that God extended to you to them? That is the hope of Christian community. And it's in that sense the Christian community should be doing this all along and should be a model for relationships and behavior, but we're often finding out uh, we haven't been. And every time we find it out, the, the pattern that's given to us is not to make excuses, not to shift blame, but to go back to God and to say, Lord, we, we're seeing things now. We're understanding new things, and this is troubling, and this is hard, and at first I'm angry, and at first I'm defensive, but, but Lord, you have loved me. And so let me work this out with you. We should have been doing this all along to a certain degree that we are. But right now we're in a time where our society is forcing this issue into the church. 
an issue to say, has the church been following the way of Christ? Have we been faithful? Have we been the unloved to have been loved, to have gone out filled with that love? Or have we forgotten who God is? And has that caused division in the church? Has that caused superficial relationships? Um, has it caused our creating a culture where people are not being drawn in because what we're about is the love of God who loved us first, but we're about something that we value, hoping that that will work because that always alienates. You know, part of the, the pain of this racial con conversation is that people of color have been saying, look, you've, you've invited us in but we don't know that you see us and we don't know that we could be ourselves. And what I wanna say is, but the church is different. And I think, I don't know about the church in the world, but I know at Emmanuel, we need to, to do some work. And so I think before we come up with a plan to save the world, we have to recognize God sent a savior and it is not any of us, but he loves us even though we have a lot of work to do. And if we draw near to God who knows and sees, we will know him. And if we know him, we could be a community that is in the world as he is in us. That's what it means to live by the spirit. And so friends, this is a time of spiritual growth for us and it's gonna be exciting, it's gonna be joyful, but it's also gonna be painful. But that's what growth is about. And so if God is with us, we have what we need. So I want to encourage us to be an honest people, a godly people, a humble people, a growing people. And we need to be a truly spiritual people, not a superficially religious people, not a more moral than other people. We need to be a people who have come to know that when we didn't love God, he loved us. And as he is, he wants us to be in the world. And so let's, Let's look at how we love people and let's look at God and know him and let's trust that he can do something redemptive in us and through us. Let me pray for us. Our father, you sent Jesus in the world to make many things known. You have manifested who you are. You are love. We do not deserve your love. We did not earn your love. We are not maintaining a relationship with you because we have loved you well enough in return. But Lord, you loved us and we have come to know and believe that. Lord, we want to know it more and we want to believe it more deeply and we want that to bear fruit in our lives. And so Father, grow us. Help us to see the truth. And Lord, be merciful to us. Be gentle that we would not be overwhelmed with the guilt of what we see, that we would not 
become so focused on ourselves and our flaws that we uh, lack the invitation to change. But Lord, help us to see that despite our failings, you have loved us in a costly way. You've sent Jesus who bears our hostilities. And now you want us to be more like him. You want your love in the world to be manifested through us. And so Father, forgive us and Father, change us. And as we embark on this together, lead us and protect us that the evil one would not come in and turn us against one another but rather your spirit would turn our hearts and minds towards you so that this would be a season of revival. And Lord, we won't dictate to you um, how we want to be revived. Lord, show us where we need to grow and be merciful to help us grow. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.